You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, let's take our scriptures and would you turn to 1 Kings 19 today? Yes, not Romans, 1 Kings 19. We are going to hack and cough our way through 1 Kings 19. If you all are coughing, cough away. I am as well, so not a distraction. It feels like I'm among friends, so anyway. But 1 Kings 19, appreciate bearing with my voice this morning. There's a picture on your way there. There's a, we had a guest artist from last week, Isaac Peterson, right? a friend of the Collins that was here for Bo's graduation. I was thinking, Matt, so how does that flower go with, what, with Romans 11? But I realized I think Isaac, I think he nailed down one of these. So I'm thinking that's what he had his eye on. But he drew that last week. But we were in Romans 11, asking Paul asking, did they stumble? Did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By, by no means. And we looked at that a little bit, talked about branches a little bit. Next week, out at the lake, a fitting place to talk more about branches. We'll, we'll talk more there, but this week I wanted to just look at 1 Kings 19, thinking of the graduates, but all of God's Word is applicable to all of us here, not just the graduates, but I think there's some things we can gain from 1 Kings 19. A little background before I read this little section in verses 19 through 21. We were actually here, I can't remember if we turned back here or we were here in our study of Romans 11 when we looked at um, Elijah and those, that remnant, that remnant chosen by grace that we looked at in chapter 11. Well, prior to this chapter 19, the land of Israel and her king, King Ahab, was a land in sin. And because of this sin, there was great, there was drought in the land. We got a sense of that. Maybe some of you got rain yesterday or whenever the day before it was. And, and our, but you get a sense of just the dryness. That's what it was like in the land. And Elijah comes along. Elijah's name means kind of literally, my God is he or he is my God. And he confronts Israel and he confronts Ahab on that Mount Carmel. Remember that great scene? And there God powerfully, he demonstrates his greatness over Baal, who is just no God at all. He's a nothing of a God. So Elijah shows this. But from there... Rain would come, but his mission back in chapter 19, he becomes exhausted. He's despairing for his own life because his life was threatened. And so he runs away to the wilderness, Elijah does. And though he's weary, God sustains him, eventually brings him to Mount Sinai or Horeb, it's mentioned here, kind of the same thing. Elijah thinks he's the only one left of all the prophets but God reveals, no, there's 7,000 others that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so God gives him this a, kind of a three-part mission. The, the first two parts are what Elisha, not Elijah, would actually accomplish. Number one, anoint Haziel, king of Syria. Number two, anoint Jehu, king of Israel. And what we're going to look at today, anoint Elisha, prophet in your place. And so we come to these verses 19 through 21. Now, before we get here... Picture the route. I've got a map. Do I have it in there? Okay. If I've got an opportunity to use a map, I'm going to. It, uh, I, just, I love maps. So way down there by the 2008 and down, we're thinking of where Elijah was in Mount Sinai. And uh, 
Yeah, there we go. We're down here somewhere. Elijah's on his way to Abel Maholah, however you pronounce that, right on the western side of the Jordan. Sea of Galilee up here, Dead Sea, right in here, Abel Maholah. Listen to what Alfred Edersheim describes what this walk may have been like since there was rain that had finally come on the land. He says this, The abundant rain which had descended must have softened the long parched fields. The country was putting on the garb of a new spring. Everywhere the work of the husbandmen was resumed. Herds and flocks were browsing in the meadows. Busy hands were rapidly putting in seed. Now come to verse 19. So he departed from there, Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen, and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Let's pray as we think of this. Lord, as we come to your word in these few short three verses here, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage our hearts, convict our hearts, move our hearts. Lord, to burn what we must to follow you, that you are worthy of it all, worthy of all sacrifice for us to be a living sacrifice for you. Lord, reveal yourself to us in your word. May our our, uh, eyes be fixed on Christ, the perfecter of our faith, and guide us as we think on these verses here in this time. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I think on this graduation Sunday, we find there's some application and principles of what it means here in this short passage of what it means to follow Christ. I, I know this passage was not written for graduates, written for all of us and all of us to be spurred on, and you graduates, as we just consider God's call to Elisha. So I'm just going to consider it kind of verse by verse. Verse 19 is where Elisha is found. And then Elisha is called. And here we find Elisha, he's out farming in the field with what the ESV says, 12 yoke of oxen. And if my math is right or my thinking is right, 12 yoke of oxen means like 12 pairs. So that equals, there's 24 oxen total. You could say of his day, he had one of the biggest plows. I don't know what the biggest plow out there is. I looked up the biggest planter, I saw something like 46 rows. I don't know if that's the biggest one. There might be something bigger than that. I don't know what this is planting, but he's probably plowing. But here's, here's all these oxen out there plowing. But rather than this being like a long, I, I kind of started to think, well, this is a long train of oxen, just a lot of oxen pulling. You know, why do you need so many? I think it's just 12 separate. So there's one, two, three, four. There's 12 pairs of oxen with 12 you know, drivers, the last driver really is Elisha. He's behind the 12th. That's, I think, what it, what it means there when it says he was with the 12th. But what's significant here? What's significant about the number of oxen? It's that Elisha is from a wealthy family. 
they had enough money for all these yoke of oxen, you know, all the, the, the biggest tractors of the day, whatever. Adam Clark writes this. He says, Elisha must have had a considerable estate when he kept 12 yoke of oxen to till the ground. If, therefore, he obeyed the prophetic call, he did it to considerable secular loss, to a loss. Just think of what he had, and to obey that call would be a loss. So here's Elisha, out, I think, glorifying God and plowing the ground, being from a family of considerable wealth, and it's here that Elijah found Elisha. And so Elisha's call here, it literally comes from Elijah passing by him in the field. It almost feels like a tag you're in. He's just walking and boom, here's the cloak. And, and it's like Elijah just keeps, there's not a big uh, essay, big long speech here. It's just, here's the cloak and he keeps walking. Um, but Elisha was not out looking for Elijah. Elijah, or really God through Elijah, found him. That's, that's really the same way for disciples of Christ, for all disciples. We have some examples in the New Testament. It says, Jesus found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. Or Simon, or Peter, and Andrew, they're out fishing when Jesus says, follow me. James and John, they're mending their nets. Jesus calls them as well. Matthew, remember Matthew, sitting in a tax booth. Jesus says, follow me. God finds us. The theological word here for being found, I think, is the word grace. It's by God's grace, thinking of our being found in Christ or his finding us. It's this gracious calling that any of us comes to Christ. Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came what? He came to seek and save the lost. I'm not saying here in our, in our passage at this point, Elijah was, or Elisha was, was lost. Maybe he was part, I think he was part of the 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. But nonetheless, anyone who is called is called by grace. They're chosen by grace, as we saw Romans 11 put it. The lost are found, those in sin are found by grace. And it's a grace that comes with a calling. In Elisha's case, this calling came as Elijah Elijah threw his cloak on Elisha. Opinions differ on this, but I think the throwing of the cloak is is the anointing. He was to anoint Elisha. Usually you think of that as oil, so maybe some are saying, you know, Elijah was kind of, he was maybe still angry or some kind of not doing really his duty. I, I think he was, I think he was, his anointing was, here's the cloak, and puts it on him. It's, it's like the uniform of the prophet. John the Baptist had his garment of camel's hair. Elijah had his cloak. And a choice now comes before Elisha here in verse 19. Does Elisha keep the cloak on, which the cloak of a prophet was not as lucrative as what he was doing, actually a dangerous occupation, or does he give it back and say, yeah, thanks for the cloak. You, you can have it back. I'm going to just keep going. Let's look at the response. Verse 20. Head into verse 20, where it says, And he left the oxen. <coughs> Excuse me. There's one. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, 
let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? Now you get the picture that Elijah here, with little communication, he throws this cloak on Elisha, and he keeps walking, because Elisha had to run up, he had to catch up to him and ask him a favor. So he puts down the oxen, runs to Elijah, says, let, let me kiss my parents, I think, let me kiss them goodbye, and then let me follow after you. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, Jesus' ministry, the first part of verse 20 is going to sound maybe familiar, and it might raise a question about Elisha's response here. Let me read to you from Luke 9, Jesus' words here that sound kind of familiar. It says there in Luke 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, well, foxes have holes and Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Take that. Now back to Elisha. Is that the case with Elisha here? Is he kind of being wishy-washy, kind of reluctant to the call? Was he, this Elisha, was he being like this guy in Luke 9? Maybe Elijah's, Elijah is just a little more lenient than Jesus. Yeah, sure, that's, that's okay. Whereas Jesus said, no, no, you've you got to put, put your hand to the plow and look forward. Just a couple of thoughts on this. One thought, a couple commentaries uh, mention this. It could be. One is that the gospel, they make a distinction. The gospel call is greater than that of the prophet of this time. That the, the call to the gospel, Jesus is saying, it's more important than going back to say farewell and that sort of thing. I think that, that could be. It obviously is. The gospel call is the most important call. But it's hard to see that as the, as the case here. It, it's a little harder to see. Number two, I don't think Jesus is against honoring our father and mother. He's not against that. I don't think he's, he's, mention, he's actually mentioned it quite a few times to honor one's father and mother. So I'm not sure Jesus is against the, the farewell, but he does know the heart and he knows the pull of comfort and ease and maybe what the home offers rather than go, the going out. In fact, it's interesting where I read from in Luke 9, in that same chapter prior to this, Jesus also says in verse 23, these familiar words, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So number three, I think we have two different responses. One commentary writes of the one in Luke who wanted to say farewell. He says he was, he was already looking back even while volunteering to go forward. He was already, yeah, Lord, I'll go, back, I'll go forward. You know, he's already looking back. Let me, let me go do this first. His words, so his words said, I will follow, but his heart seems to be pulled toward home. Whereas Elisha, we just read it, from the context, what does he do? He goes home and he burns things. 
and he goes. Elijah's heart is going, and our beliefs are going to bear fruit, and so the fruit of our lives are going to demonstrate what we really believe. But number four, keep in mind, following Christ means not looking back. The call of Christ is to leave everything or be willing to leave everything for the sake of Christ. That may mean physically, physically going overseas, physically traveling, moving somewhere. We, maybe we tend to think of that, but I think it's got more than even physical departures. It's, it's living all for Christ. Question for you graduates and, and all of us, have you been called to follow Christ? Is that the calling God has on your life to follow Him? Then don't look back. Don't waver. And be cautious. Be on the lookout for how the world desires to entangle us to live for it, to live for other things. Yes, we need to honor our father and mother, even care for them in their old age. It's biblical. The caution, though, I think is here, what owns the heart? Does Christ own your heart? The second part of verse 20 seems to be calling for Elisha to just consider this dangerous calling. So Elisha makes a request. Let me go home and say farewell. Elijah says, go back again, for what have I done to you? It, it's a question here, and it's, it, when we read it's a bit of an odd question. What's he asking? What, what have I done to you? Some see this as Elijah saying, you know, you go make your own choice in the calling. What have I, you, you go make the choice. Or maybe Elijah saying, I, sent, I delivered the message, it's up to you. Um, another commentary suggests a sort of maybe a test. This is a test. Is Elijah, or Elisha, is he going to return or not? I prefer to see this as a call for Elisha. Consider what Elijah has done to him. Think on this. Consider the calling. Yes, maybe he's saying, yes, Elisha, you should say your farewells because what I've done to you in calling you to the office of prophet is a job which during this period is a dangerous and a life-threatening occupation. Stephen says it this way in Acts chapter 7. He addresses this this council set up against himself, and he, he says to them, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? So being a prophet of the Lord God, it was no cushy, it was not a retirement job. In fact, you remember even what happened to Stephen. They stoned Stephen. And so it could be either Elijah saying, you know, you make the choice, or perhaps saying, yeah, good idea, Elisha. Go tell them goodbye because your mission awaits and danger awaits What Elijah had done to answer his own question was to call Elisha to a ministry of danger. It's no different than the call to follow Christ. Today, consider your call, your calling to follow Christ. What to do what? To lose one's life for his sake. There's an interesting quote from Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China in the late 1800s, I think died in 1905. He has said this. He says, carrying the cross does mean following in Jesus' footsteps. And in his footsteps are rejection, brokenheartedness, persecution, and death. Wow, there's, a, there's an encouraging sermon, right? That's, that's what lies. He says, 
there are not two Christs. There are not two. Any... <clears throat> an easygoing one for easygoing Christians, and a suffering one for exceptional believers. There is only one Christ. Are we willing to follow His lead? Let's read that again. I think it's, there are not two Christs, an easygoing one for easygoing Christians, and a suffering one for exceptional believers. There is only one Christ. Are we willing to follow His lead? Well, in verse 21, we see what happens here at the family farewell event. Look at verse 21. And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. If you read verse 21, if you read it closely, Elisha took the very tools of his livelihood, the yokes and the oxen, and he burned them up. The NIV translation, I think, gets at this. It says, he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. Talk about a commitment to go. This burns it all up. Elisha burned his livelihood to answer the call. And a feast was at hand. The people ate. In fact, they ate, what, of the now-boiled oxen. And it was a feast of seeing Elisha off. Maybe in some ways, your graduation parties, there's one this afternoon, there's, you guys have had others. In some way, maybe those are a feast of sorts, kind of marking this finality of your, of your time in high school and moving on. But I did not, at Annika's, I didn't see her taking her violin and burning it up, you know, that didn't have, or Bo, I don't think you cooked the brats with pieces from your charger, you know, cut up your car and, and, you know, I'm not saying you should have, but there's that idea of just burning. You get the idea though. Elisha here, he's showing what we may have doubted. We may have doubted from his request to say, can I go back and say goodbye? Well, Elisha, are you sure, are you serious about this or not? Now there's no doubt. He proves by his action and his sacrifice that he took the call of God seriously. He burned the yokes. He literally set on fire the life he had in order to answer the call. Does that sound extreme, graduates? All of us? It's not extreme, not for followers of Christ. That's normal following. It's what it means. There's not, remember Hudson Taylor, there's not two Christs. In fact, The burning of the yokes may be the least of sufferings for the follower of Christ. But graduates, and then all of us here, what a joyful burning and suffering it is when the goal is Christ. He's worth it all. And so verse 21 ends. Elisha rises up, heads out after Elijah. He ministers to him. Again, I know, 1 Kings 19, right here where we're at, it's not solely written for high school graduates, but I think there's a theme here. There's a message for all that would follow one greater than Elijah. John the Baptist, the Elijah of his day, pointed to the coming ministry of Jesus. And with that in mind, I, clo- I just want to close just a couple, kind of repeating a couple of applications as we think on our own call to follow Christ. Number one, Three of them here. Number one, remember your calling. 
Have you been called to follow Christ? Maybe that calling goes back. You can think back to praying for salvation with mom or dad at a young age. Maybe it's at a later age. God's grace has begun this work in you that you, the lost sinner, have been found by God. Found not because you sought Christ, but Christ sought you. Remember God's grace to you. And then number two, count the cost. And then don't look back. Jesus himself, he urges the disciples, count the cost. Consider what this is going to cost. What following Christ will cost all of us. Could be ultimately our own lives. But then renounce all that we have. And it's, it's severe language. But following means going. It means ministering. It means suffering. And may even mean dying. That's what we see in how many, almost, almost all suffered of the disciples. I think all did. So many of them persecuted as well. So many Christians through the ages persecuted. Whatever your plows look like, whatever the occupation, whether you get married, you've got a family, you remain single, commit your way to the Lord and then don't look back. All in for Christ. And so number three, burn the yokes. I'm not saying go home, burn your parents' house down. But you get the idea. It's kind of like when Jesus says, you know, if your right, hand, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Does he literally mean, well, no. But there's that severity to the burning. Maybe there are some things you need to burn, literal things. Don't be satisfied with a lukewarm Christianity. Go all in for the sake of Christ. Why? He went all in for you, all the way. So whether it's physical or figuratively, burn what you must, graduate. Remove what you must that would get in the way of the greatest call ever, which is the call to follow Christ. Remember, it's Jesus who transformed. He transformed fishers of fish to fishers of men. And may he transfer you, transfer all of us as well to burn our yokes And then for each of us to arise, go and follow the call of Christ. Let's pray. It is a a high calling, Lord, and it's a gracious calling. And I'm so thankful, Lord, we don't go forward in this calling on our own or in our own strength. You don't say, go, hope it goes well for you. Burn those yokes and we'll see you at the other side. Lord, you are with us all the while, all the days, in the night, in the morning, through the sufferings, through the persecution. You are with Stephen. You are with the martyrs through the ages. Lord, you will be with us. Your promises are true. May we go forward. May we be a people characterized by a burnt sense to the world and a growing hunger and desire for Christ, for you. Lord, grow that by your Spirit in us. Grow that desire to follow you. And Lord, when faced with temptation, when faced with challenges or opportunities to go another route, Lord, protect us and guide us. May you be a refuge for us along the way. And we give you praise and glory for this. And Lord, I would just lastly pray 
that you would just reveal to us, Lord, if there's yokes that need to be burned in each of our lives, areas of sin that continue to fester that we're okay with, help us to, to burn them, that we might follow you and enjoy you forever. We pray this in your name. listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.